The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and in the studio only from the Burrows behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Yeah, it's weird, you know? We had a pile in here last night. Oh, I know we did. Yeah. Yeah. That it was, was a like, whole. Like the whole room was full. It was amazing. I think we had like six, seven, eight, almost eight well, people. Six in there and was, one in me out it was here. A big, yeah, it was a big show last night. Yeah, it was a big show. Yeah. Well, I've been waiting on this show for quite some time. I've been talking. Uh, Christian filmmaker Dave Cristiano is here in the studio with me. Thank you for being here, Dave. Rick, thanks for letting me come. Oh, wow. Yeah. He came all the way from Nashville, which was really nice. He brought his wife Susan here with him, which is so nice. Did I say that right? Susie. Susie. Let's say Susie, not Susan. Are you Susan? She can't speak. Suzanne. Suzanne. Okay. So his wife Susie came, who I met actually on set. I got to be an extra in one of your films not too long ago. And tell me, what's the name of that film? Always the Winner. Always the, the Winner. The new it, one coming in April. Always the Winner. It comes in April. Yep. I can't Rick, wait to see Rick, that. And Rick Welch is in it. I mean, <laughs> what is a. And you'll see yourself. That's the good part. You will see yourself. Yeah, you actually made one of those yeah. extras where I can see the you, front of my face. I have to have your shot. <laughs> It's no cutting room floor. You, I need it. I'm going to make it. I'm not going to get on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that's so really awesome. So all Rick Welch fans, make sure you come see <laughs> Always a Winner when it comes out in April yeah. of 2023. Well, I'm hoping that I can help, like, you know, get you guys in the theaters down here in town, like, you know, in Asheville, Hendersonville area. That would be fun to work with you. you can know, I like, get a synopsis? Uh, uh, yes, uh, it's a, uh, Always a Winner. I did a movie called Remember the Goal. It came out in 2016 about a girls' cross-country team. I did a follow-up film in 2019 about a girl track runner called The Perfect Race. So this is the third and final one in that series, and it's about a high school girls' golf team at a Christian school is what it's about. Huh. A girl golfer transfers— from another school to this Christian school. She won the state meet the year before, and she's trying to repeat as state champion. That's the basic premise of the film. Cool. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. It, it, and That's if you fun, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so when we say Christian— So, Andy, you worked with me on my films. When we say filmmaker— Dave's the real deal. Like Dave actually makes films. They go into theaters. He sells them. You know, he has christianfilms.com where he sells his DVDs. Um, he also, you know, he streams on other platforms. It's on Tubi. I bought, I know I got Remember the Goal uh, off of Amazon Prime. I was able to buy it off of Amazon. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're, and you also have a YouTube channel, correct? Right. YouTube channel. It's called Christian Movies. There's a lot of titles on there, right? It's been going really well for us. Right. And you share that with, now is your brother Rich? I have Rich. a twin brother Rich. So my brother and I have twin brother Rich. We've been producing Christian films. We started in 1985. So it's our 37th year. We have 37 years. 20 films. This is the 20th one. Plus a TV series called Seventh Street Theater, which I shot in Arden, North Carolina. I was in it. Yeah. That's right. You I, were in it. I played that. an extra. I know. You are That's in how that. I met you, actually. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> Are you like the Stan Lee of his films now? Yeah, <laughs> just always well, a cameo. Oh, never. No, you, and Dave's really I'm good kidding. about yeah. not. I know Dave's really good about not having extras in the same movie. And whenever uh, I I met him through Philip Trees, he's the pastor. And actually, Philip's going to come on the show later in the year. 
uh, but he, uh, Pastor Philip Trees over at Feed and Seed, it used to be Christ Community Baptist. He he said he knew Dave. I guess I guess you guys knew each other from church years ago yeah, or something. Yeah, I or, believe so. Yeah. Did you go to First Baptist of Hendersonville? No, I don't oh. know how. I, I can't remember how I know him, but I know him somehow. Somehow, yeah. And that's the truth about Philip Trees. Everybody knows him, but we don't really know how that happened. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so that's how I met Dave, was uh, he needed some extras. And I was doing comedy at the time. I was actually doing stand-up. That's when I was doing my stand-up comedy stuff way back in the day. Do you have recordings of that? I do, yeah. No kidding. I don't think I've heard that. Do you know how my, you know how quiet everybody, you know, gets when my jokes happen here? Yeah. It's like a Sprint commercial. It was like that. It was like that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, that. the only thing about that stand-up comedy was the the word comedy on the door. I wasn't very a very funny comedian. You, you know? I don't know. I mean, you ever heard of The Day the Laughter Died by Andrew Dice Clay? <laughs> I think so. It's it's all it's this album that came out right after the one that made him like giantly famous and he it's the worst thing ever. It is as far as anybody can tell, of course he does a character, the same character, but it's a character intentionally unfunny where he just oh yes i have seen that lies with that the reality of the unfunniness of it like yeah for like an hour and a half and just yeah. like walks a room just bombing yeah. yeah but he the man knew what he was doing it's just i don't know i think he was killing off the character a little bit yeah sure. anyway sorry no no it's fine so um some of the movies that dave's made power of the air I love that film. That has Patty Duke in it. Right. Patty Duke, her last film. That was her last got, film. Right. Before she passed away. Wow. Wow. Got a chance to work with her Academy yeah. Award winner. She's an very, Academy Award winner. Very, very nice lady. She was very nice. Had a couple long conversations with a very interesting person to talk to. Yeah. She played you know? a real mean character in that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My brother and I used to say probably his final performance we ever saw was her playing Helen Keller in The Miracle Worker. It mm-hmm. came out like in the early 60s. Fantastic performance. Sure. She was like 14. I think when she did that. Wow. She, at the time, she goes, look, we're just making a movie. I was there 10 weeks. You know, it's just a great performance, though. Yeah, but, absolutely. So, yeah, so you, she was, it was her yeah, last got, film was on your film. Wow. Right. Got a Power of the Air is a great film, and it, I love that character. And we'll get into your movies, you know, later. I was just going to say at the front, but I, I definitely want to go through some of your movies because especially like um, Power of the Air uh, and also Remember the Goal. I love that film. You, you you make some great films, Dave. You really do. So he's uh, like he was talking about earlier, uh, the trilogy, the fir- the two that are out, the Perfect Race. Well, it was Remember the Goal first, then the Perfect Race, and um, what was the name of that actress? Ali Sutton Hesco. Yeah, she was great. She was great. Yeah, she, she did a terrific great. job. Loved working with her. She's in the first two films, but she's not in the third film. Right. And I wrote I wrote a reason why she's not in the third film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, Me You Us Forever. Yeah, I yeah. shot that here. Oh, you did? In Hendersonville. Oh, I didn't know that. Hendersonville, North Carolina. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, I've, I've seen it, but I guess I just didn't... Well, you know how films are. It's hard to recognize some things, but you shot it right here in Hendersonville. Yeah. Some of it in Greenville, a little part of it in Greenville, South Carolina, the majority of it here. Wow. Yeah, and then, um, of course... Oh, and this is one of my favorites, Late One Night. Okay, we shot that in Hendersonville. You did? Yeah. The, wow. The Five Points Diner there. Down by Laura, oh, Laura wow. Corn Golf. That's the diner I use for the movie. Five Points Diner. Oh, really? Now That's I cool. recognize it. Oh, now Andy. I need to like. I need to like see that scene at least. It's a great. It's a. It's a short film. It's not right. very long. Thir- thirty-three minutes. Yeah, thirty-three what is it minutes. Again? It's late, called Late One Night. It's a thirty-three-minute film. It came out in two thousand and one. Is that available on your YouTube yeah. channel? Oh yeah. Okay, so Christian movies. The YouTube channel is called Christian movies. 
Yeah. Uh, we're also on, they're all on tubitv.com. Okay. That's a great site. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then we have, you know, we sell the DVDs on our website, christianfilms.com. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people still do. I know, like, my grandparents, they don't even know. They're like, streaming? Can I have the DVD? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, there's an audience for, there's an audience there for all of it. Sure. Some people buy DVDs. Some people buy Blu-rays. Some people just do streaming. Some people buy digital. Mm-hmm. Some people just rent digital. Right. So, there's an audience for it all. So, you're trying to, you know, the goal is to get the message out there. So, you're trying to make it available on as many places as you can. Sure, yeah. Late One Night, I love that film. And it... I, they're just sitting in the. I did not realize it was five points. Now that I now that you said it, I can totally see it. Yeah, that was great. And and what is the name of the African American actor that he played the cook? He's been in several of your films. Hugh McLean. Hugh McLean. Hugh McLean he was, was in Seventh Street Theater. He too, was right? in Late One Night, Seventh Street Theater, Me U.S. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. He. That's yeah, right. Terrific. Me U.S. Forever. Yeah. That's right. Now, but yeah, that's right. You're right because he was in Me U.S. Forever. He was like a coworker of the main character. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. And then Pamela's Prayer. Another great film. Where'd you film that one at? I shot that in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was quite an undertaking doing that film. There was a lot to that film. It took me 16 months to shoot that film because I shot the four seasons. Uh, and so I had to wait for them and had a little baby growing. And um, it was a period piece. From start to finish, it was 16 months shooting that film. Now, I didn't shoot it. Every day. Right, of course. But I needed the seasons. Yes. And so that's what I had to have fall Kind of hard se- to fake that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What and, was the, and, the lead, and the lead actress had to cut her hair, had her show her look older. So she filmed about 11 months. Then she cut her hair to make her look older. And it, yeah. wor- it worked with what we did. So sure. It was, quite a, it was quite an ordeal, that film, for me. I watched something the other day. And your name was on it, um, but it wasn't. You weren't directing it. It was. Uh, it was about Hosea. Amazing love. Amazing love. Right. It's, it's a film that my brother and I wrote the screenplay with another guy, and then I edited the film, and my brother was one of the producers. Yeah. So it was kind of a co-production we did with another company. It's the only time we've done a film with another group. Yeah, and I, I love but, Sean Astin. Yeah, he was, so, he was great. Yeah, Sean. You know Sean Astin. Um, <laughs> no. no, I don't you, think so. The Goonies, the main. Oh really? Yeah, the main he character. Oh, okay. Rudy. He played Rudy. Rudy. That's what people. But Sean was. He was really good was in, in that. He was very good in. He was. Built, he was uh, Frodo Baggins' best friend, Sam Samuel. Gumbergy. Oh, that guy. Sam Ast. Yeah, his oh. name is. Yeah, Sean Aston. Patty Sean. Duke's son. Patty Duke's that's son. How, that's how I got her in my movie. Wow. That's how we got her, because Sean was in Amazing Love, and we met Patty through that. I didn't film. even know that he was her son. Wow, wow. He, he's a great actor, but he's an amazing love. And I love that movie. And then I saw your name. I was like, hey, that's Dave, because my wife Holly and I were watching. I had no idea you were involved in that. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're here on a testimony series. That's uh, We've been doing that this year. It's a very popular series. People really like to hear these stories. And, and I also want to know your story. So can you, um, I ask every guest that comes on the show, the first question I always ask is, can you tell me your earliest memory to the best of your ability? Of when you first heard the name Jesus Christ? Well, I was raised Catholic. Okay. So I would have heard it in the Catholic school. I went to eight years of Catholic school, Catholic church. I was not a Christian. I was not a born-again Christian, but I went to a Catholic school and had a good upbringing in that regard. It's so funny. Everybody we talk to is a Catholic. You know, like Ralph said, you know, I was a, I was a Catholic, so by default, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't, you know, and right. I understand that. I was that. not. Yeah, I was I, not. Sure, I get that. And so— 
how about your salvation experience? Okay, what it was is I was living, I was born and raised, my twin brother and I born and raised in Waterloo, New York, which mm. is the birthplace of Memorial Day. Oh, really? So, small town in Western New York, loved living there, loved growing up, great place. But it, I, I went to college for two years in Rochester, New York, and then I transferred to Arkansas State University in 1976. Okay. That was a big move at that time to go from the north to the south like I did. So Arkansas, Especially Arkansas, wow. Arkansas State University, Jonesboro, Arkansas, is about an hour or so from Memphis. And so, in the fall of 1978, they had a big street dance out in the middle of the campus at the beginning of the semester. So, naturally, all the guys go out to meet the girls. All the girls go out to meet the guys. So, I'm with three or four buddies. We meet up with three or four girls. And end up talking to this one girl named Martha for about 20 or 25 minutes. Hmm. That's in the fall of 78. Okay. In March of 79... I'm sitting at the library at Arkansas State. I used to go there every week to read Variety Magazine, Billboard, because I'm a film, you know, radio TV major, and I was really into that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there reading my magazine. I look up, and at the magazine rack, walking around the corner, there's that girl, Martha, from the street dance. So I looked up, looked at her. She looked at me. We remembered each other from the street dance. So I went up, got up and went over there and talked to her for about an hour or so, just sitting there at the library, just cutting up, talking to her. It was a fun little conversation. I remember this like it was yesterday because I went to my apartment. My suitcase was packed. It was spring break. That was the Friday leading in the spring break. I drove to Memphis, flew down to Bradington, Florida, where my mom and dad lived, spent the week in Florida, and then I come back to Memphis. And instead of driving to my apartment, I drove to her dorm room. She was on the ninth floor in her dorm room. I walked in, called her up. She came down. We sit in the lobby on a Sunday night and talk for an hour and a half. Two or three days later, went over, did the exact same thing. Called her up. She comes down in, the, in her lobby. We sit there and talk for a couple hours. She goes, hey, you want to meet my parents? I said, sure. I kind of started like her. She kind of started like me. So that weekend, we're going to go to Paragould, Arkansas, which is 20 miles north of Jonesboro, over Arkansas State. That's where she lived. Mm-hmm. So I go up and meet her parents. She had a younger brother who was a junior in high school. So Martha and I are sitting in her living room by ourselves, and we're just talking. And all of a sudden— out of the blue, without any warning, here's the question she asked me. It's like she completely changes the subject and says this, have you ever received Jesus Christ in your life for the forgiveness of your sins so that when you die, you'll go to heaven? And I looked at her and said, what? <laughs> so you said, hadn't talked she, about this before. No, she says the same. Out of the blue. Have you ever received Jesus Christ in your life for the forgiveness of your sins so when you die, you go to heaven? I said, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, let me say this. I had no idea what she was talking about. I'd never read the Bible. Even though I went to a Catholic church and Catholic school, I'd never read the Bible, never thought about spiritual things. It would go in one ear, out the other. I was just a good guy living my life, totally oblivious to any of this, was spiritually dead, totally not aware of any of it. So for about 10 minutes, she starts telling about Jesus. He died for my sins. She shares the gospel talks about God, Bible, shares a few verses, and I'm very interested listening to this. And after about 10 minutes, I said, stop. I scared her. I said, stop. She's thinking, I don't want to hear anymore. I said, I said, stop. I believe every word you just told me. I believe every word you just told me, and I realize I need Christ. That's how I became a Christian. Wow. Right there. Just her testimony, her just sharing. She just, here's the thing about it, Rick. She just shared the truth. She didn't try to talk me into anything. Nothing. She just shared the truth, and God let me understand it. Like, Spirit of God, let me understand it. So I said a little prayer with her the best I could, but I believed. I believed everything she said, that Christ died my sins, was buried, rose again the third day. That's the gospel. I believed her. 
first person I called, my twin brother, Rich. I said, Rich, you got to check into this. 14 months later, he got saved. 14 months later, it took a while before it registered with him. Sure. That's, that's, so I'm 22 and a half years old, and my life completely changed. And this is 1979. This is, right, at this point? 1979. And Rich yeah. comes later on in 80. Rich comes in 80. We started in Christian films in 85. Wow. So, um, you know, it was a life-changing experience because when the Lord comes in your life, your life's going to change. And immediately what I started doing was, you know, I'm, I want to read the Bible. I want to hear yes. spiritual truths. Mm-hmm. I want to hear sermons. I want to hear messages. I want to learn. I want to know what's going on. So, uh, Martha had a friend of hers. When she told a friend of hers that I, I became a Christian, he gave her a book called, what's, it's called, So What's the Difference by Fritz Reidenauer. Mm-hmm. He goes, let him read this book. And what this book did, it compared all the different religions of the world to the Bible. And when I read that little book, the light bulb really went on. Because I, I could really see, now you saw where Catholicism and the Bible were off. Mm-hmm. The Catholics would teach something. The Bible taught the, you know, the opposite. Now, sure. wait a minute. I always thought the Bible was the Word of God. I just never read it. That book, though, was an eye-opening book. So, that, that was, that was a, an effective tool for me. But my brother and I took it very seriously. When we became Christians, what does the Bible say about a bunch of different topics? In other words, we basically studied theology. Because to do Christian films, you gotta you got to— be a theologian to an extent to be able to handle spiritual messages. So we wanted to understand, and I didn't have preconceived things coming in. I wasn't trying to make the Bible say something that I believed. I didn't believe anything. Right. So what does the Bible say about marriage, divorce, remarriage? What's it say about end times? What's it say about spiritual gifts? Now, there's a lot of varied opinions, and you get them all, and you weigh it. And so that's how it started for me. So you so you've become a Christian. This is 1979. You're still at Arkansas State. Correct. Yeah. So uh, this was not your plan, obviously, because you went into college for radio and TV, right. for radio. Yeah, radio and TV broadcasting. And so I'm assuming that you you got your degree at, or you. I got a degree in 1970. My brother and I were always interested in films. In 1977, two years before I became a Christian, we drove out to Hollywood, California, from Waterloo, New York. Drove to California. That is R- Rich and I in a one fr- heck of a drive. It's yeah. a long way. It took five days. To, and a friend friend of ours, Rich, had written a script called The Valedictorian, which is basically a G-rated high school script. Mm-hmm. And we got it to Max Bear who played Jethro in the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, now, Max yeah. had just done Making County Line, which mm-hmm. was a huge hit for an independent film. And we saw Max on the Johnny Carson show. He goes, look, you don't need big act." He said this, you don't need big actors for movies. You need a good story. Mm-hmm. Well, Rich thought he had a good story. So we got it to a script reader. She read it. She calls him up. She goes, you are a terrific young writer. Max wants to meet you. So Max Bear actually made my brother an offer on the script, but we didn't sign anything because there was a difference in creative content. Okay. Now, this was a G-rated film, and Max was going to make it more of a PG-13 film. Got it. That's not the direction, even though my brother and I were not Christians, that was not the direction we wanted to go. But so the interest of doing films was there, because mm-hmm. even before I got into Christian films, after we became a Christian, we still wanted to do films, but now we saw the importance, hey, I want to do them for the Lord. Yeah, I want to try to do something with a message that can point people to Christ, lead people to Christ. That was imprinted on our hearts. That's what we wanted to do. And that's been our philosophy since day one. All of our movies have a message for Christ. 
because we're trying to reach people for Christ. Right. I'm not trying to hide anything. Right. That is my people say you got an agenda. Yeah, and that's it. Right. Now I'm trying to write a good story. I'm trying to craft a good, you know, a film. You're trying to make it so people want to see it. That, but I'm not trying to manipulate people. I don't try to manipulate with truth. I, you want to share truth. Yeah, that I, one of the, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but I wanted to say this about Remember the Goal, the thing that I loved about it so much. First of all, I didn't know anything about cross-country. I didn't know anything about the strategies of cross-country. I was like, really? I thought they just ran. Yeah. Obviously, there was some strategy to it. And then, you know, the main character, she she hides her past. She doesn't really talk about the fact that she was who she was. And I don't want to ruin the film. I don't. No spoiler alerts. If anybody <laughs> wants to go see it, go see it. But it, it's remarkable because all of these young girls are coming up in this this cross country group and you know i was one as i was watching it i thought i wonder if you know was dave did dave run cross country yeah beautiful so, yeah in other words when i i ran cross country in high school and college uh-huh. i ran track in high school okay i played golf those are my three best sports i had a scholarship for cross country and golf both sports I ended up going cross country so here later in life i do movie on cross country i do movie on track i just did one on golf yeah so it's what i know in other words, I didn't have to consult anybody for my films because I know these sports. I really know cross-country. And here's the thing about it, and this is, I'm a stickler for this. Everything in these films, the, the cross-country film, Remember the Goal, the track film, The Perfect Race, and the golf film, Always a Winner, they're 100% accurate when it comes to the sport. Yeah. Because if a person is a cross-country runner, you're not going to fool them, mm-hmm. especially if they're a good runner. You know, there's, there's films Hollywood's done and other people have done. They're just not accurate when it comes to sport. Uh, if you watch a basketball movie and the star guy takes a shot, if he doesn't have good basketball form, you just lost me. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're, yeah. not fooling, you're not fooling anybody. Obviously, cross-country is a sport that a lot of people don't know. No. But my, but my film is accurate. And the runners, I had a lot of r- real runners in the movie. Mm-hmm. When I shot the film, I had three state champions in the film. You know, wow. there's extras in there. But they saw that it was right. They said, hey, you're, you're doing this right. I said, I know the sport. Yeah. And it's important. If you're going to do something, I want to, Rich and I are like that. Whatever we're going to do, we want to make sure it's right. Yes. So you don't, you don't offend the profession that you're doing. That's good because you have to know this. After I watched Remember the Goal and I saw that there, and I was like, there really is a strategy. Like, I thought these people just ran. And, you know, I didn't realize that she was clocking times and running certain speeds before, she, you know, she might run a little bit harder in the beginning or in the end or, you know, in the way that she did her splits, you know. And I was like, what? And she made her run the hills all the time. And right. I'm like, I've always said that cro- coaching is the sport for cross country. How you train those runners, it, it really is it. Yeah. And it was such, it was remarkable. And so now I actually, I started finding things on YouTube, you know, like Total Running Productions, NBC Sports. I watch a lot of track and field events. Uh, I especially like to watch the larger races like the 5K and, you know, the the mile run, you know, and yeah, because, because of that, Caitlin Tui. Uh, out of NC State, yep. you know she's she's really up there, and I watch it. And I'm like, she's got a strategy. Like there's a, there's a coach there, there's a strategy there. There's something going on, which takes me back to the perfect race because I loved that. I loved how you that around the shoe, you know, the one shoe. And I, it, look, because I ran high school and college, and I coached two teams. I studied the sport and wanted to represent the sport correctly. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fake out the good runners. Right. They're going to know if it's not right. And I know. I knew what's right. So I, I just made sure it's 100% accurate with what I did. Sure. And what was the name of the man in the Olympics you were just talking about oh, earlier? Ma- Matthew Sensor- Sensorowitz. 
Well, I was telling you, my movie, The Perfect Race, which is, I had the story before the 2016 Olympics, because mm-hmm. basically what Matthew Sensowitz did to win the 1,500 meters for the United States, he was the first American to win it, I think, in 100 years. Mm-hmm. He did exactly what my film was. In other words, uh, Matthew Sensowitz was ranked, I don't know, seventh or eighth going into the race. Into the, This is the 1,500-meter Olympic final. He's not the favorite. There's... There's guys that are three three seconds faster than him and in a mile run or 50, and that's a long way. It is. It's like he doesn't have a chance. He's there. I'm glad you're there. He doesn't have a chance. But the very first lap, they went out really slow, 66 seconds, and Matthew's in first, and now he's a factor because his 400, last 400 meters is better than anybody in the race. And he wins the race with a really slow time, but they let him into the race. Yep. And so here— there's guys that could run that lost that race that, that have run times 15 seconds faster than they ran. Yeah. So it's an amazing race to watch. It just shows me that you can outsmart runners or yep. runners can outsmart themselves. My philosophy is I always tell a runner this: you got to run your race. Mm-hmm. Don't run somebody else's race. Run your strengths. Those guys and those really good runners in that 1500, they didn't run their race. They 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 let Matthew center it. So I'm glad that he won. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's, that's really amazing. It really is. It was really good in the film too, because like I said, you know, I was watching it and I thought, I don't know anything about this. Obviously, I thought they just ran as best they could all the time, but that's not the case. They're really controlling themselves, and they've got a tempo. Literally, I didn't know any of that. Me I'm learning either. that now. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you look at it, and they, you know, it's a sport. And I'm always thinking, yeah, these are amazing athletes. They just they know how not to run wide open, but they know how to run their pace. No, they have to train and train and train to be able to hit that pace. You know, there was. Let's go back in the day when they didn't have a shot clock in basketball. Sometimes teams would come out and hold the ball for ten minutes, right? Yeah. A team that was an underdog, what they would try to do, shorten the game. Because sometimes an underdog team can stay in the game for a little while, but then better talent takes over. Now, this is back in the 60s and yes. 70s before they had a shot clock. I remember I was at Arkansas State one time, and a team came out. They're playing Arkansas State, and this team is an underdog. And for the first 10 minutes of that game, they never took a shot. They just kept passing it around because <laughs> they were trying to shorten the game. It's a, it's a strategy. You can't do it now because it's a right. shot clock, but mm-hmm. that, that was an idea. Well, to be perfectly honest, you're in the right state because UNC Chapel Hill, Dean Smith, and the Four Corners. Mm, right. Before That's why the shot clock came into existence was because of the Four Corners, yeah. and it was just wasting the game. Really? It's oh. Absolutely. Hey, Dean North Smith. Carolina first again. Yeah, and also the usage of the shot clock also, the usage um, fouling at the end of the game, which is a strategy to slow down the time mm-hmm. to give a chance for your free throw, your best free throw shooters to get the shot, and then the <laughs> other team to get it, and then you run and foul them. The worst you try to foul their worst free throw shooter, I mean, to try to get rebounds and score. That was Jimmy Valvano, NC State. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so they won respectively. 1982, Chapel Hill won the national championship. In 1983, a 10 seed, Jimmy Valvano's NC State team, won the national championship with these interesting little strategies. And it gets in people's heads. We also lead with uh, gerrymandering. So yeah. <laughs> we're, we're coming at a lot of angles. Yeah, we gerrymander too politically. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we do all kinds of things around here. Anyway, back to you, Dave. So l- let's talk about the fact that now that you, y- you are a believer, Rich is a believer, you both want to be filmmakers. And so after college, uh, the first film that you guys make is in 1985, so there's a little space there. Right. How I got, I started, I got a job working at a TV station in Little Rock as a news photographer editor. So okay. just shooting news and editing. I learned a lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot just 
shooting shots and editing and really editing. I did more editing than shooting. I bet that's but, the sort of environment where you're really there's you're doing a lot of work and that's how you're learning. And is, and here's yeah. the, and here's the thing about that. When you got a TV camera and it was, this was Channel 7 in Little Rock, one of the it was the ABC station. You get in anything for free. Mm-hmm. That camera got me in, you name it. I went into a lot. I got in, you know, I'm talking to the governor four or five times, you know. <laughs> and so it's interesting the media gets in places. But yeah. I got a job at San Antonio Junior College in 1983 as an instructor, just teaching basic radio TV classes. It's just introduction to broadcasting. And when I was there, when I first got there, the chairman asked me, hey, can you clean out this area here and tell me what we got? And so I I was cleaning it out, and they had an old 16-millimeter Bolex film camera there and about 20 rolls of film, Mm. unused film from five years old, five years older than than the time. Yeah. So this is 1983, so the film was like 1978. So I asked him, I said, do you mind if I shoot this film? He goes, no, go ahead. So I took that 16-millimeter Bolex film camera and started studying film, and that's how I learned filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I would practice lighting, set up different things, and I shot those 20 rolls. That was in 1983. And in 1985, Rich and I shot our first Christian film, which is a 26-minute movie called The Daylight Zone. It's like a Christian version of the old TV series, The Twilight Twilight Zone. That's the idea. Now, that series puts— a person in a situation they would never be in. Because in my film, a guy transports back in time to the day of Christ's crucifixion in my 26-minute film. Now, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. I shoot this in Bernie and Bandera, Texas, which are north of San Antonio. So I shoot my first 16-millimeter film. took me 27 days to edit the film. I resigned my job at San Antonio Junior College, and Rich and I are now in the film business. We were shooting local TV commercials up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I moved back to Jonesboro, where Arkansas State was. Sure. So in 1986, in April of 86, we released our first film. It comes out called The Daylight Zone to Christian film libraries. Back then in the 80s, Christian films were shot and distributed on 16 millimeter film. This started in the 40s. You think back, let's go back to 1975. Uh If you wanted to see a movie, you had to go to the movie theater to see it or wait five or six years for it to come on TV. That's right. Or or he went to church to see a 16-millimeter film. Well, back then in 1985, we started 16-millimeter churches would show films. A lot of churches had Sunday night church service, a lot of Sunday night showings. Friday night, fifth quarters, after the game, a youth pastor would show a 30, 40-minute youth film. Mm -hmm. Church, Church camps during the summer, Saturday night youth group. The primary audience for your films were teenagers, youth. Sure. So you're really making films targeted toward youth. And probably a great incubator for like up and coming uh, filmmakers. Well, yeah. In other words, we, it was this 26 minute film. It was a major, major accomplishment for us. It was my first film. I was the writer, producer, director. I was a cinematographer, edited it, and Absolutely. I scored it. Oh, and I you scored, scored my it. own film. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> On a well, synthesizer. Well, I was going to say synth. <laughs> Yeah, since would have been right. Yeah. yeah. Now let's be let, let's make this clear here. He says 16 millimeter film. It's actually film. It's actually so film. when you're editing, you're cutting and dropping actually cutting tape. I'm putting on the I'm floor. I'm cutting film, yep. cutting on, film. On, a, on a what's called six plate flatbed editor. Yep. Yes, I did my first three films that way. Actually, first four that way. I mean, so that's th- amazing. To yeah, me. we don't so do that amazing. anymore. Yeah, that those days are over. The film day, those were great days. Rich yeah. and I loved the, you know, he liked showing the films at a church. And a lot of churches had good projection systems set up, big screens. Mm-hmm. The bigger the screen, the better. You yeah. can't beat 
the theater, the big screen projection. It's just, it's the way to see a movie. Yeah. We got a 200-inch screen on the side of this building. Yeah, he'll show movies out here in his yard. It's got to be dark, obviously. It has to be after dark, but yep. Yep. So whenever... So I have to ask you this question just because I know your film. Like, so in Power of the Air, there's a part where um, there's like a student that's playing basketball. He's kind of got an attitude, and then the main character invites him to a youth group to watch a film. Was that did, did you write that in because of your? Was that something that you thought of from the past? Or well, was what it, it was is this: we were trying. I'm trying to plant the seed that churches should start film ministries. There you go. That's what I was and wondering. Have a, you know, once a month or twice a month on a Friday or Saturday night, show a Christ-centered film. Yeah. And and the emphasis to me is a Christ-centered film. Mm-hmm. Something has a message for Christ, presenting the gospel. Something with some sort of a message. Don't leave the person and presence of Christ out of it. A lot of that's the trend today in Christian filmmaking. Right. No Jesus, no gospel. Yeah. <laughs> now think about it, that's the trend. No, I understand. There's very few people. Rich and Dave Cristiano are rare in terms of we want the message in there. I'm I want it in there. Yes. And and we're trying to influence other filmmakers. Look, you got to put the message in there. It's the only thing that's going to affect anybody. Right. You know what's the goal here? You, you got to think eternity in yeah. mind. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's it for for our listeners who are, you know, like they want to. I I know of probably at least five or six people that I know that listen to the show that are always struggling with what they can put on their television because they have young children and they, you know, it's, it can't always be veggie tales or sometimes they want to watch TV and the kids might be playing and, you know, and it's nice to be able to say, and and by the way, I have, I'll, you know, go watch, you know, Dave Cristiano's, you know, films, you know, because he's, oh, it's Christ-centered, they're clean, there is no cursing, right. there is there's nothing, no language, there's no cleavage, it. there's nothing. There's, no, it's very you know, tasteful and it's, and it's, yeah. it truly is family friendly and that's what they you know it's not pg-13 it's it's g but you do handle you do really well with being so you know true to the faith but you also tackle some hard subjects and you're able to do it you're a good writer that's obvious well well, thank you rich and i in other words here's another thing we've played what we try to do like with this film that i just shot that you were in called always a winner i'm in it guys it's coming out you gotta go see it i'll do some single night theater showings around the country on a monday night in Asheville, North Carolina, yes. we'll show the film at the Regal. I'll right. do a couple of showings in Nashville. And you different people around the country, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the theater presentation, to me, is the best presentation. That's where it's but, at. Yeah, I love You it. know, but uh, I, I just lost my train of thought of why I brought it up. Oh, when you release the movie in the theater, they have to be rated. When you do a single-night theater showing, it doesn't have to be rated. Right. So people ask me, how did your movie, Remember the Goal, get rated PG? How? Right. There's not one thing in that. I'll tell you how, because it mentions the name of Jesus. Mm. Is he, that is that real? Like this who, is for real. In who other did words, the rating? Do you have the MPAA if, or something? Right. If you mention the name of Jesus, the easiest way for Hollywood to get a PG rating is to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. So they do it. Huh. But if you say the name Jesus, it's not considered for kids, which is G-rated. So it automatically gets a PG. Isn't that interesting? That is wow. that's pretty so, interesting. You know, I guess the, I guess I get it because it's like then you're setting a parent up conceivably for a very complicated conversation they may not be ready for. I hmm. guess that would be the logic there. So Maybe. that's what I was so Yeah. Because people wondered why they why is the secrets of Jonathan Sperry, you guys film rated PG? Well, that's why. Right. Because there's no right, there's nothing 
Look, we're not going to another do, great movie, by the way. We're, we're not going to do a curse <laughs> word. I'm not going to show any kind of skin or anything like that. That's not where we're coming from. No, not at all. You know, our goal is try to. If you write a good story, can we write a good story that hold people attention? We're doing. You know, I always tell you this. We tell people this. I'm doing what's in me to do. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the best I can. Some people like what you do. Some don't. Right. I don't worry about it. I don't read reviews. I don't worry about it all. I don't lose any sleep at night over if somebody liked or didn't like my film. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Right. You know, I got long past that. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to do what's in me to do at that time of my life of where I'm at, how my thinking is. You know, these three sports films has been a lot of work. Cross-country film, the track film, the golf film. The golf film, probably the hardest to shoot. Golf's a hard thing to shoot. Oh. That's a hard thing to shoot. In other words, you know, but it got a little action in my movies. At least the running films give me a little action. Yeah, you do. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm true. not going to do car chases, but I got <laughs> I got some action. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, whenever I when I made my first film, of course, I called you and, and emailed you and was asking you questions, and everything you said was honest. I mean, this is hard work. It's you, you try to stay true to the story and all that. And you know, I wrote a Christian film about a serial killer that was trying to kill a woman with cerebral palsy who happened to be a Christian, which is it's a very bizarre film. Let's just be honest. And so when I met with Pure Flix, trying to get it on their platform, the answer was no. <laughs> a resounding no. I want so badly to make a joke about Rick having cleavage in his movies, <laughs> but I just, I haven't found it, but I just want to put well, that but out there, there. But there was because they were, they were in bathing suits and they were, you know. Oh well, yeah. no, I meant the other cut, like <laughs> with a cleaver. <laughs> That sort of that was which that was the second yeah okay, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so my films you know and I'm not even going to get into my films but they're they're different and my vision wasn't the same I was trying to challenge and juxtapose but, look, but Christian horror is okay yeah. <laughs> if there's you know I and I didn't we didn't call it that we called it a suspense thriller and what we said was we we do understand that there's evil in the world and how we're going to deal but, with it Al- and, Hitch- yeah. Alfred Hitchcock said an interesting thing I always kept this in mind. He said the suspense is not showing people what's behind the door. The suspense is getting them to the door. Mm. The filmmakers today are going to show you what's behind the door and be as graphic as possible. Yes. That was not his thinking. They right. called him the master of suspense. Yes. You know, so. And if anybody wants to watch that, it's on Pure Flix. What? Master of Suspense, the documentary. Oh, really? About okay. Alfred Hitchcock is on Pure Flix. Oh, cool. Isn't that crazy? The guy that made Psycho made it on a Pure Flix, but you don't get to watch Psycho. But you do get to hear about yeah. him. And he was, let's just, he's my favorite. Yeah, he was suspense. amazing. I he think is the master of suspense. Yeah. yeah. His film Rope. I love the film Rope. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah. So, all right. So here we are. You've made the Daylight Zone. First film. How did it go? It went well. Mm-hmm. In other words, we had 77 Christian film libraries around the country in all the different cities. So we sent our film, we contacted all the libraries. Libraries had mailing lists of two to 3,000 churches in the area. So they send out promotional information. And thousands and thousands of churches around the country were renting films every weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the Daylight Zone would maybe do 150 rentals a month. And we say, you know, it was a low-budget film, but at the time it was what we, you know, doesn't— you know, I'm try, We've always tried to do good work. Rich and I are always trying to do good quality work mm-hmm. the best we can. So we saved up our money and we shot our second film. This is the film that really put us on the map that was called The Pretender. Yes. It's a 39-minute movie about a high school guy that pretends to be a Christian so he can date an unsuspecting Christian girl. Mm-hmm. We had a study guide with this because it deals with like nine different topics a youth pastor can talk to his youth group about. What would they like to do is show the film then talk about it. This was a 39-minute film, so it still gave you 20 minutes in a Sunday school hour to talk about. But that film really went over well. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, youth pastors were using that film left and right, and it kind of put put our name on the map and and it got us going. I mean, The Daylight Zone was, was an evangelistic film. The Pretender dealt with a lot of different topics. Even today, if people watch that film, I mean, it, it, it's what youth do. They they manipulate. They, yes. They, you know, the guy was a manipulator, and he said all the right things. Oh yeah, no. that's what that was. Uh, that's me. That's what I used to be like. <laughs> Always trying to get to the girl. Oh, say whatever you got to do to get to the girl. I was never the say the right things guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you've made the Pretender. You right. and Rich. Now I know you got you and Rich have made separate films, but how long did it stay? Well, we did, did you go by the Christiano we, brothers? We did, we did the first three films: The Daylight Zone, The Pretender, and then the, the next year we did a, a comedy mystery called Crime of the Age. Yes. It was like a comedy, a little spoof about a. There's six staff members at a Bible camp. It's going to open in two days, but one of them is not a Christian. Which one is it? Yeah, <laughs> the Who Done It. And the idea is we're just trying to show people the importance of different different elements of the Christian life. You should be reading your Bible. You mm-hmm. should be praying. That was the message, what we tried to do there. So the first three films we shot under the Cristiano brothers. And then each brother wanted to direct us because I directed the first three. So we had to think, okay, whoever's going to write, directs. So we decided, let's set up two separate production companies and we'll go this from there out. So the first five film, the first three films in the first five years were Christiano Brothers. And then Rich set up Rich Christiano Films. I did Dave Christiano Films. Then he changed his name to Christiano Film Group. I've stayed with the Dave Christiano Films. Now what about five and two? Okay, five and two, what we that's our distribution name. So okay. any we've done ten with well, twelve theatrical films now that'll when these two new two new ones come out. So anything we released in the theater, we called it five and two. And people ask us, what's the five and two? Oh, I know what it is. What is it? You the know, loaves of fishes. Yeah, the five, the five loaves and the two fishes. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea is we're going to take our little offering and see if God can do yes, anything. So Rich came up with that. I liked it. I said that's fine. Let's go yeah, with that. It was great. So, so you guys, you split off, right? And so let's let's go down your path. So, the fourth film, the your fourth film. Did you write the film for Rich or did you direct? No, the four the. Um, the Daylight Zone, The Pretender, and The Crime of the Age were films that I wrote and directed, although Rich co-wrote on Crime of the Age. Okay. And then as we did the spinoff, my brother did The Appointment and Second Glance. Mm-hmm. I started working on Pamela's Prayer. Ah, okay. It took me seven years to do Pamela's Prayer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Remember I told you it took, you, took me 16 months just to shoot it, but Pamela's Prayer was during the transition when— Film libraries around the country started closing because as home video came on the scene, instead of a youth pastor renting The Pretender for $48, he'd go down to local Blockbuster and rent Back to the Future for two. Right. And it literally put the Christian film industry out of business. So we made the transition from 16 millimeter to home video, but Pamela's Purse sat on the shelf. It sat in my office for two years. I didn't do anything with it. And I ended up editing that film on 16 millimeter. Then I went and edited it digitally. So it took me seven years to get that out. Wow. So my brother did the appointment second glance. I did Pamela's Purse, and then he did End of the Harvest. So those are the films that came out in the 90s for us. Yeah. Absolutely. But Pamela's Prayer was a, it took me 52 days to shoot the film. It was a lot to that film. I was proud of the film. It dealt with purity before marriage. It got all kinds of resistance when it came out. It's probably the most mock film in the history of Christian film. Mm, I, really? I say that sincerely. The movie's about purity before marriage. And here's the premise in a nutshell it's about a father that raised his daughter. His mother, the mother dies at her birth. So the father raises her with a very high standard of purity before marriage. Mm. 
He wants her to wait until their wedding day before she ever kisses a guy and wants her to marry a guy that waited until his wedding day before he ever kissed a girl. That's the premise of that film. Right. Now, it doesn't come from a legalistic standpoint or anything. Like that. It comes from a perspective on purity. Mm-hmm. I was shocked at the response to that film, how people could not—they didn't see it. Now, the film, it's a heartfelt story. What was the response? I'm sorry, that's fascinating to me, but I can't, well, I can't here, imagine people, what Here's what it, what it is. is. I'll give you—people think it's unrealistic and ridiculous, but, but I have a counter for that. Okay. I'll tell you this story. In 2000, the film came out in 1998. Mm-hmm. If you, you back in 98, if you typed in the word on Google "anti kissing," the first 30, thing, 30 things that come up were all Pamela's prayer. People just look. The internet is for people to get on there and destroy. Right? Yeah, that's why I wanted you on in the show. Okay, they just, so I could put you at risk. I'm just okay, kidding. <laughs> so in 2003, a youth pastor calls my office. Hey, you guys have a return policy. We got this film. We want to send back. I said, we don't have a return policy unless it's effective. What's what's the problem? He goes, man, we got this film from you guys called Pamela's Prayer. He goes, are you kidding me, man? I can't show this to my kids. I let two of our parents watch it. I said, this is so ridiculous. I said, no, man, you need to let your kids see that film. He goes, no, I can't. He goes, they'll mock this thing. They'll laugh at it. Yeah. And so the guy wanted to send it back. I said, no, man, you got to let him see it. He goes, no, you don't understand. I'm in Chicago. I got 100 kids. This is an MTV generation of kids. Yeah. I can't show the film. So I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. If you did show the film, is there anybody in that youth group that would mock it the most? He goes, yeah, all of them. I said, no, there's got to be one guy in that youth group that would really ride you hard and give you a hard time. He goes, yeah, there is. I said, what's his name? He goes, Mike. I said, okay, let me talk to Mike. Now the youth pastor is getting frustrated. He goes, man, Mike is not here. I'm calling from my office. I just want to send back a film. I said, youth pastor, why don't you pretend to be Mike? You pretend to be Mike. He goes, what? I said, youth pastor, you pretend to be Mike. I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, remember what the movie's about, okay? Right. It's about a father that wanted his daughter to wait until their wedding day before she ever kissed a guy and marry a guy that waited until his wedding day before ever kissing a girl. Very high standard of purity before marriage. So I said, Mike, it's your wedding day, and coming down the aisle is your bride-to-be. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. You cannot wait to be with her. You can't wait to be married to her. What would you prefer, Mike, that she had been with five other guys before you? or none, what would you prefer, Mike? Right. And the youth pastor hesitates, and he goes, none. That's the second question, Mike. It's your wedding day, and coming down the aisle, here she is. She's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous. You are so in love with her. You are so excited you get married to her. What would you prefer, Mike, that she had kissed 25 other guys before you, or none? What would you prefer, Mike? And the youth pastor says, none. I said, there you go, youth pastor. Mike just endorsed the message of Pamela's prayer. Why don't you show the film? Yeah. Did he? He did. He kept the film. And here I said this. I said, look, you're more afraid of those kids than you are of God. Right. Throw that message out there. Yeah, you have. A, you got 100 kids. And 90, have you met kids? <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers explicitly? Yeah. Yeah. I said, 97 kids will mock it, but two or three, it might touch their heart. Yeah. But here's the truth of it. Nobody's going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. You can talk to a guy from Hell's Angels. He's going to say none. Yeah. If a guy's not saying none, he's lying to you. Mm-hmm. He's lying to you. So that I did it. So I did an episode of Seventh Street Theater called "One Lucky Lady" as a counter. That's that story I just told you. It's a counter. It's like a follow-up to Pamela's prayer. It's the seventh episode of season one of of Seventh Street Theater called "One Lucky Lady," because look, you can't argue against holiness, purity. These are beautiful things that God create. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. So. 
everybody would choose the highest standard of purity if they could. Yeah, I mean, we listen, live in a fallen world here. So pal. you're yeah, you're talking about 98. So let's talk about let's fast forward all the way up to 2017 or 18. One of the most famous quarterbacks, he's won a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson. Very well known. His <laughs> wife or wife to be Ciara, they decide that they are going to be chased. They're going to wait until they're married. And the internet explodes. You guys can hear Gregula um, purring in there, right? <laughs> that's that's Gregula. But the cat. Yeah, the cat. So he waits. You know, and it's wild to see all of the stuff on the line, people just bashing them about this. Like, this is this is silly. You're in the 21st century. What are you thinking? And it's like, you know, it's just these two people decided to do this. And you know what? Jesus said, if you love me, the world will hate you. Yeah. That's what he said. And yeah. he's right. And I don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. Yeah. I, I mean— so you so you have Pamela's prayer. You've made it. Pamela's prayer come out in nineteen ninety eight. Right. You, yeah, nineteen ninety eight. You've gotten your fourth film. That the, was my fourth film. The fourth film. So after, and it took you fifty two sh- well, days I, to shoot. Fifty two. Seven shoot. years to make. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sixteen to get it months out. to yeah to, to get it fully shot and or, and how many how long did it take you to edit it? Oh, uh, probably it takes months to edit a film like that because you yeah. know back flatbed editing was and then we had to do the digital. It yeah. took like three weeks to do that. Wow. You know, because they were copying what I had done on 16. I made a I made a video of the 16 millimeter film then we were putting in the shots. It was quite a process to transition. Right. Editing is easier now digitally. You edit digitally. I mean, the editing process is still the same. If you're making thousands, you know, hundreds of creative decisions mm-hmm. with your edits, frames here, frames here, sure. timing, pacing. I think it's hard to teach people how to edit. I think it's more instinctive. I really do. Yeah. There are principles to it, but there's gotta be there's gotta be instinctive on timing and pacing and lines mm-hmm. and dialogue. Which is I never edited my films. I had a I had an editor named Kaylee. She was educated. She came from Western North Carolina's film school. She's incredible at it. Let let the pros do it. Like I couldn't right. touch it. My brother and I, because I write my own script, I'm gonna edit my own film. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna anything I'm gonna write, I'm gonna direct, edit. Yeah. Now, although we didn't we did not direct Amazing Love. We mentioned we did a film in 2012, and this taught us this. The guy that directed the film did it differently than my brother and I would have done it. Mm-hmm. When you write your own film, you have an idea of how you would do it. And so that taught me that. You know, he's just a different creative approach to it sure. than I would have taken. So we, we came to the conclusion, if we're going to write a script, one of us is going to direct it. Right. What I did was I wrote the story or I help I hired someone to help me write the screenplay, you know, with I had the basic premise and where I was heading. I, I wasn't great at dialogue and I you know, it just didn't work. And so but then I did, you know, produce and direct it. And so I would, you know, I could change things on the fly based on what I had, because I was doing very, very low budget, of course. So I would be able to change on the fly. But I've never been able to approach a film like you, that actually has a budget, and then you actually go and you hit that budget, and then you get a return on it. And like, it, it, I right. never went that way. See, we do our far. own distribution too. That's the thing. My brother and I have never handed our stuff off to anybody since sure. day one. We've done our own distribution, so now you have contacts. And you know, the one thing about the streaming services, the movies are really getting out there. Mm-hmm. In other words, people can watch them on YouTube, Tubi. Other places as well, uh, Redbox. Yeah, you were telling me earlier, and it wasn't. We weren't recording. This was before we started. But didn't you say that uh, 
your your films have been viewed as what? Remember the goal is well. Remember the goal. We started our YouTube channel. It's like I think at the time we're doing this podcast about twenty months ago, and it's had almost six million views, which is a lot considering you started from nothing. Yes. Um. You know, it's not like we're a household name, Cristiano Brothers. Never had six million Uh, of anything. So. Oh yeah, that's amazing. You know the the movie. You know, my brother and I run ads on Facebook for our films just to bring some exposure to them. But and it maybe he has even done more on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Remember the goal. Yeah. Maybe more. Sure. Um, so those two outlets have been really good outlets. That film has done really well for me. The second film has done as well or even better. Perfect yeah. race. It really has. I've been amazed. And I'm talking about response. I'm not talking about sales. I measure thing in, in response. And sure. again, you know, there's always people out there who don't like what you do. That's okay. Yeah. It's kind of like music. What kind of music do you like? Oh, I don't like that kind. I like this kind. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, people, all right. People, yeah, exactly. They like different types of music. Yeah. And it's, it's very obvious what you consider success in your film, it's not necessarily just monetary. No, I mean, no. you, you want to have some monetary to live on, of course. Well, there's a business side to there this. There is, yes. And, and in the business is harder now than it has been. Mm-hmm. DVD sales kept people going. The streaming services pay pennies, and I think music artists can say the same thing. CD sales kept us going. Yeah. Album sales. Now it's like merchandise and go on tour, you know, yeah. So that's I always wonder. For bands, it was always the touring. The CD sales provided extra money, and it was decent money if you were the right person. But most of that money went to labels. Yeah, that's true. So we're you know, you know, the Lord God has kept us going. Rich and I work hard at it. Uh, we're always trying to do the best work we can. We're trying to do better work on the films. You're you work with the ability you have. You work with the budget you have. You know, some pe- people have asked us, why don't you guys shoot a $5 million film? The answer is real simple. I could never make it back. <laughs> I I'm not going to use an investor like that. I've right. got to shoot them in the range we shoot them at so we can pay back. We do have investors, and you want to pay them back. I've never met an investor yet that doesn't want to get paid back. No, I, I promise have, you. I have. <laughs> but it's a job. If you find one. You know, yeah, yeah. Introduce me to him. <laughs> Here's the thing, Rick. Filmmaking is a hard thing. It, yeah. n- none of this is easy. People think, you know, people call me, have got an idea for a movie. They think we can shoot it in a month right. and get it out. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that, you know, you're talking a year and a half, two years, any project you decide to do. Sure. You know, from writing the script to plan it to cast it, pre-production, shooting it, editing it, then yeah. you got to distribute it. Absolutely. But I'm doing what's in me to do. I love what I do. I'm, my brother and I, are, I'm just as excited about doing films now as I was. The message is the key, though. You're always trying to. I'm excited about Always a Winner. Mm-hmm. The, the, the message scenes filmed very well when we shot them. The actors, actresses did a really good. When we shot those key scenes, they were like really on target for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's a different type of a story what I tried to do with this, and hopefully it'll be effective. Now, uh, Andy, Andy, do you remember the the television show Night Court? Oh yeah, love so, it. So, do you remember? So the main the ju- main judge Harry Anderson. Yep, wasn't yeah. he in one of your yes. films? We did a movie called A Matter of Faith because Harry was living in Asheville. Yes, he was. Oh, in no Asheville. kidding! Oh, that's right. I had heard. He I was in living in, and I was living here, and so I went and met him before we shot the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he was excellent in that film. Yes. In fact, um, wasn't Dean Cain in that film? No, as well? just Harry Anderson, oh, okay, Jay just, Pickett. Yeah. Who, um, but Harry Anderson, who's now passed away, a good friend of mine, Harry Anderson, lived in Nashville, and Harry was in an Ingalls. And the character he played was Professor Kamen. And so my buddy walked up to him and said, hey, Professor Kamen. And he looked at me because I really liked your movie. So, you know. 
So at least Harry knows somebody saw it. Yeah, and I, of course I always remember him from Cheers. You know, he was the the guy that came in and did the card tricks in Cheers. You know, oh yeah, that's right. That's really I, where he I, got started before Nightcart. Yeah. yeah, right. I never saw Nightcart, but he was really good. He played an atheistic professor mm-hmm. in um, A Matter of Faith, and we thought he did a good job for us. Here's what I noticed about Harry Anderson. I worked with Michael Gross, who was the dad on Family Ties. Yeah, yeah, the dad okay, on Family Michael Ties, Gross, that's right. That guy's- That was ve- Power of the Air. Power of the Air. He's very good. Mm-hmm. And I can't emphasize how good that guy is. You know how good actors are when you work with them. Patty Duke. Here's the key thing about all three of them. This is for any actor that's listening. They knew their lines. Harry Anderson knew all his lines. Patty Duke knew all their lines, and so did Michael Gross. Mm-hmm. They never looked at a script. Wow. And a lot of actors you work with don't know their lines. They they show up and they don't know their lines. And that's just no. That's not professional. It's, no. Yeah. But those people, they 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 were very professional to work with and delivered. Mm-hmm. You know, for the roles they did did for us. Absolutely. So now, and like we've already sort of talked about the way it is for Christian filmmakers now. Have you had any have you had anybody that, you know, there's, there are some pretty big budget Christian films that are out there. You know, I think, um, what's the name of the brothers? Irwin brothers. The Irwin brothers. Yeah. They've done some, a little bit. Bigger budget, seven million, you know. Yeah. Seven, $15 million films. Now, the difference between us and them is message. Right. I mean, I can only imagine, which is a song that has been sung in how many churches? Right. Almost every church. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that song, has heard that song. If Rich and I are writing the script, we're going to put a, the gospel in there. The movie doesn't have the gospel in it. It doesn't mention the name of Jesus in that film except in the song. Right. That's not the angle we're coming from. And that's what I was talking about earlier. The trend of the industry is no, well, maybe we weren't talking on this off the air. The trend is no Jesus, no gospel, but we're going to call it Christian. Right. That's like you and I going to see a martial arts film. There's no martial arts, but we're going to call it a martial arts film. (laughs) Right. You watch Karate Kid, but they don't ever kick anybody. (laughs) This is the difference in the philosophy we call a Christ-centered film, a movie that has a message for Christ, either the presence person of Christ, the gospel. You've got to have something in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm reading in Romans right now, okay? And I just read Romans 1 yesterday. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite verses in Romans is Romans 1.16. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right. Why, Paul? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Right. That's why he's not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it either, because I know people need to hear the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. They need to hear that Jesus died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel. Right. Need to receive Christ in their life. I know this. Mm-hmm. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Somebody, I just went to an international Christian film festival. It's in May. It's the largest Christian film festival in the world. Rich and I were brought in as speakers. I'm talking to a group of people, and here's the question that was asked. Why do you do Christian films? Why do you do, why do you do Christian films? Yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you why. To make a lot of money. I said, because the most important— <laughs> Yeah, the that's most where in- the cash is, right? <laughs> yeah. I Sorry. Said, I said, because the most important thing in my life is my salvation. The mm-hmm. fact that I'm saved when I die, I'm going to heaven, that I'm born again Christian. That's the most important thing in my life. Nothing is more important to me than that. Nothing. Nothing even comes close to that mm-hmm. than your eternal security, your eternal salvation. Right. I said, the second most important thing— to me, is your salvation. That's why I'm doing films with the message. And so it's thinking about other people because I'm being real straightforward here. Either people have Christ or they don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's black and white in the Scripture. Now, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I'm sure you do too. I believe it's the inerrant Word of God. Mm -hmm. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I don't see any mistakes in it. 
it's the word of God, man, the tremendous truths of the scripture. Yeah, I do believe that. And I say that in this room all the time. And I, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, I definitely um, do a lot of, you know, I'm not a King James only guy. And there are some people that are like super King James only. I believe, you know, I, I won't go to that level. But yeah, I say that in here, being the believer in this group, you know. And so, yes, you, I do believe What that. was that about King James only? There are there are churches that believe King you should, James only. King James only. I read know. the King James, but I'm not King James only. Yeah. So if I handed you an ESV, you would actually still read it. Yeah. Yeah. You just wouldn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and we quote in King James. I was raised on King James. I mean, that's right. But I, like, yeah. for example, I would say instead of saying believeth, I would change it to believe. Right. Just like we would today. Yeah. But I, I believe that King James is the most accurate English translation. That's my personal opinion. Sure. It, but. You know. Yeah, but I, I per, hey, read the New American Standard. I, for the first eight years of my life, I read New American Standard. Then I switched over to King James. I like the New American Standard too. Yeah, sure. The power, of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, though there, there's powerful truth, such truth mm -hmm. there. So I always encourage people read read the Bible, read the Bible. Yeah, read, don't we say that in here, Andy, all the time? Don't I say that? Like the whole point is to like just go oh, read yeah, it yourself. Absolutely. Like just yeah. go read it yourself. Yeah. Rick, can I tell you one life changing thing? Okay, sure. I became a Christian in 1979. For the first probably 13, 14 years of my life, I tried every Bible study method known to mankind. Tried this method, this method, and none of them worked. I just couldn't find one that worked. And finally, I met this youth pastor in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I said, tell me your Bible study plan. What, how do you, what do you do with the Bible? He goes, I just read it. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just read it. I'll start at Matthew. I'll go to Revelation. That's New Testament. He goes, then every once in a while, I'll go back to Genesis, come to Malachi, Old Testament. But most part, I stay in the New Testament because we're New Testament believers. Mm -hmm. So probably 20, I would say 28 or 29 years ago, I started doing that. Mm -hmm. I started reading Matthew. I go to Revelation, come back to Matthew. And that's how I approach the Bible. I have learned more doing it that way. This is me personally. Just by reading it. And some days I'll read one chapter. Some days I'll read 10 verses. Some days I'll read three, ver three chapters. It just all, all depends. Right. Before I was married, I've been married for a year, almost a year and a half. Yeah. I had a certain regiment. Now that I'm married, I, it's kind of off. It's, it's hit or miss on different things. Sure. But I do read the Bible every day. Yeah. But I encourage people to read the Word of God. I mm -hmm. believe it's the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus said the truth will make you free. Mm -hmm. That's right. Truth is liberating. Yeah. You know, so I encourage people read the word, read the word. Yeah, that's and great. That's what we I, tell them. Just and I read li it. And, or listen, listen to it on a, on a CD or something. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Hear it. Get Alexander Scorby reading the King James Bible. <laughs> well, he does the New American Standard too. If you, you know, this is like for Andy, this is falling on deaf ears, but if you ever listen to Alexander Scorby reading the King James Version, it's powerful, dude. Okay. It's almost like sitting with Charlton Heston in the room. I have one question. How long does it take to record a spoken word version of the Bible? Wow. <laughs> that is, With no mistakes. That is absurd. And that was the, back whenever it was real to real. He, he recorded that on real to real. That was a that long time ago. a massive he's, project. He's the yeah. only guy that knows how to pronounce all those names, too. I know. Somebody must have helped him with that, but he was chapter two. <laughs> you know, he was really good at it. Very good at it. So... So let's let's uh, to to wrap up this to this this interview here. I want to get to where you are right now. So you you and Rich do you and Rich make films together at all right. anymore? We used to, what we do is we like for example his six features. I've co-written three of them with him. Uh -huh. Was co-writer for three of them and 
script editor for three of them. So I'm, I've always been involved with his features. Right. Just, we distribute together. In other words, I'm more involved with his writing. He doesn't really write on my stuff. Uh-huh. I'm more of the creative guy, more, and Rich was more of the business, the business guy. guy. Yeah. So he did more distribution. I did more on the creative thing. I also edited two of his films. I edited Amazing Love. I edited Matter of Faith. And I would have edited his film Mind Reader, but I was shooting my film and it's too, too much. Mm-hmm. You know, plus it had 7th Street Theater. All those 64 episodes of 7th Street Theater took me nine years to do all those. The one of the ones you were in episode, I think, 18 or 19. I think 19 you were in. Oh, yeah? Season one, episode 19. Rick Welch. Yeah, I have the DVD. (laughs) I haven't watched it. If you guys want to see, we he told us in order, this was what's, this is when I first met Dave. So I'd never seen a dolly. I'd never seen a camera, you know, in that you know, he had, yeah. he, he was in a business park. It's like a little more professional. Yeah. A, a Next consum- level. Dave Cristiano is a consummate professional. I, and so when I go in there, like I see these headshots of actors and actresses and stuff. And I'm like, I'm in a little business park in Arden, but it's like you just walked into like a Hollywood studio minus all of the garbage that they have in Hollywood. But you get, we go out, he's got this the theater seat set up. There's dollies around. He, he has these different places where he shoots. And he was like, okay, we're not going to hear you say a word, <laughs> not a word, but I want you to do an action, you know, do something, try to act like you're going to be funny, but you're just so you know, you're not going to get selected. You know, the, and I'm scene, like, the scene was people auditioning to replace an actor. And so we set it to music. So I didn't have to write dialogue. They just yeah. had to pretend they were doing something. Seventh street theater was Kay's business park. I rented a 3,500 square foot facility yep. and hired a guy from Disney who had retired from Disney to build my set. Mm-hmm. And this guy's name was Ralph Nielsen. He really knew color. He he understood what colors work for the camera, for background. The guy did a terrific job. Had a couple people help him. Did a terrific job building that theater. Man, we used every inch of that place. Yeah, you that. did. And it we was shot really 64 episodes. We shot the episodes over five years, but with the editing, it took me nine from start to finish to do them all. Right. But that was a labor of love. I loved working on 7th Street Theater. It's on our YouTube channel. It's on Tubi. So you have all the seasons all, on your YouTube all, channel? Right. There's three seasons. Season one, season two, season three. There's 64 episodes total. That has done well. Yeah. I mean, in response. People have responded very favorably. Because I want to do a christ Center TV show that people could watch. Yeah. You know, my kids had they, my kids had nothing to watch growing up, so I said, "Well, I'll produce something." Yeah, Hugh McLean's in that Hugh too. Hugh McLean, yeah, yeah, he was in, yeah, he was in several of your films and, and in that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming all the way down here to be with us in studio. Hey, thanks, Rick. It was so hey, cool, it was fun. and I look forward to. We're it. done. That's, oh man, it, this, it, this was a second. <laughs> it went by really it quick. It did go by really quite. Yeah, it did very yeah, much. Yeah, it was very fun. Look, immediately people are going to go watch the two things you're in now. It's called An Actor's Big Chance Part Three <laughs> for Seventh Street Theater. And then Always a Winner comes out in April. That's right. Yeah, Always a Winner. And, uh, if it's okay, like whenever whenever we talk later on, you know, when this film comes out, what I want I want to promote it on the podcast. I want people because we have a lot of locals here. Because I would like, you know, let me get involved. Like, let me help sell tickets in the area and try to get people to go see it on a Monday, Tuesday night, or whatever you have down here, you know, in Regal. That would be awesome because I want everybody to see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something in it for me. That's Andy. right. <laughs> Yeah, very good. You're stuff. in it probably a couple of times. I haven't edited your scene yet. I'm not yeah. there yet. I've edited almost half the film. Can you I, make me half the size that I am? Yeah, we'll, we'll Photoshop. <laughs> Zoom in on my face. Photoshop. Photoshop just stretch it, it real tall. <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, because you know, you know, I'd lost a lot of weight and then I gained weight, and then when I 
talked to Dave. He had some extras, and I was like, I want to get Dave on the show. I tell you what, I'll be his extra. Maybe I can get him to come down, you know? And so then he was like, okay, I'm going to put you in front of the camera, but you have to have this uh, the lanyard with that said official right. and sitting right on my belly. <laughs> and so I have to show it in the shot. One, I just want to make one comment about Always a Winner. This is the first time I shot a film where I had the support of a wife. Yeah. And my wife did a lot of work, a so lot you said of work that. I wanted film. to say something about She's her. She's in the studio here. She, uh, Susie did an, a lot of work on that film to help me tremendously. Yeah. Just a tremendous help and support on that film. I got to stand. I got to stand beside her because she's she was an one extra of the with you. Yes, I got to make it. <laughs> so the audience, Rick and my wife Susie and three other people are golf officials in a scene in the film where they're handing out the award to, to the people that the girls that won the golf tournament. Right. So there are five officials and they have to confer a little bit and they'll be seeing two or three shots, maybe four. Yes, and I also want to say when you're looking at the officials. Across the crowd, you're going to see one woman with long blonde hair in the back. That's my wife, Holly. She yeah. <laughs> she would not do face forward, but she definitely gave you the back of the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had such a great time. And I remember we first got there. You were you had to go because of weather. You were in Kentucky shooting, and then you had to come back to Tennessee because we shot it. We shot it near, I guess, Lebanon. Right, we shot it in Lebanon. We had gone to Kentucky in the morning to finish shooting our golf sequences. Then we came back and we started shooting like one one thirty in the afternoon. And you, having shot films, you understand. It's not oh, easy, and you're trying absolutely. to get it right. You did it multiple times. But overall, I think that scene's going to play well. Yeah. I, I'm happy with the shots and uh, I'm, the acting and what the girl did, and, and I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, we showed up at that house, and it had that cool little pool in the back, and we just sat down, and Susie was so nice, and she offered us water and fruit, whatever we wanted. She was really, really nice, and and you know, you had said earlier, which we did not capture on the recording, that you said you're kind of a quirky guy or whatever, but you met this perfect woman that right. understands your quirkiness. And that's what I thought whenever you were <laughs> running around the set. I was like, she's perfect. Like, here's this the thing. Is so cool. and, here, and here Rick comes over from North Carolina, comes, you know, all the way over to Nashville, Lebanon, Tennessee. Yeah. But I can only talk to him for two seconds because I'm shooting my film. <laughs> but I had a motive. You know? I had a motive. I knew. I thought to myself, listen, I'm going to guilt this guy into coming down here. <laughs> If I show up, if I show up for him, then I'm gonna be like, but but don't you remember? Motivated man. Did you help me? Yes, I rarely do these. I'm a behind the scenes guy. Thank you, Susie. Susie's in the studio, but you can't hear her. Yeah, yeah. She's the one that got me to come. Yeah, but I do like you, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his first response. Can I? Can I? Can I say that little exchange? Can I say the exchange? So is it going to make me look bad? Uh, or is it going to make you look true? It's going to make it look like I think I'm glad that your wife helped you out. So whenever I said, I, I said, Dave, I really want to interview you. Like I've wanted to, I want to interview you. I want to hear your story. I want to know what's going on. I want you on the podcast. And you're like, Yeah, I don't do interviews. I and mean, it was that quick. Yeah, I don't. And then I was like, Boy, oh boy. Do you remember the days when you used to be able to talk about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's what got me here. That's the fact funny. I can talk oh about the Lord. Oh, my God. Here, I really funny. pushed him hard. Rick, here was the— When I was in Arden shooting 7th Street Theater, NBC called my office one day. Mm-hmm. NBC wanted to do a story on Christian films. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want to talk to you. I said, no, I don't want to talk to you because I know you're going to come from the money angle. I know you are. So I hung up. I said, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. I said, I'm coming from the Jesus angle. Mm-hmm. That's what I t- I'm talking to a person on the phone. A week later, she calls me back. This is NBC. She goes, we want to come interview you. I said, no, nah, I'm not interested. Well, you're the only one that mentioned the Jesus angle of the people we're talking to. Yeah. 
I said, okay. Yeah. So they came. <laughs> and when you watch the story, I, my little three sentence things does mention Christ. They did bring, but it was from the money angle, which I thought it would be because yep. that's how they think. Anyway, so yeah. also too, things can get twisted. You think differently. Like if I listen to myself doing an interview 10 years ago, I'd probably think differently now. Yeah, sure. So sure. I don't you know, do. you know. Yeah. Why not? So, People but, evolve. But, but, they don't really change, but they do evolve. Look, the one mess, the one thing that hasn't changed, I got saved because a girl shared Christ with me. Mm-hmm. And so if she hadn't shared Christ with me, I had to hear the gospel. You have to hear it. Yes. You have to hear about Christ. That's right. You know, so that's the driving force for what we're doing you know, the Lord has sustained us. We work hard at it. We're surviving financially. Yes. Doing it. We're always trying to do the best work we can. You know, you always want the next film to be your best film. Impact. You want to make an impact. You affect people in a yes. positive way. You know. Well, that's, and I'm glad. And so I did, you know, I opened that up and said, what, isn't, wouldn't it be great if you could just talk about Jesus? And you have. And I'm glad. Okay. And that's exactly what your films do, all of them. And they're great. And I, I love well, your films. Well, they, you. they have great stories. They have, it's not just, oh, it's just a great message. Guys, you can learn a lot about cross country. You can learn a lot. And I'm right. sure I'm going to learn some stuff about golf. You can learn some things about ballroom dancing when I do that one. Oh, you got that one. So there's a new film coming then, Well, huh? in other words, I hope to shoot next year. It's a movie about a female attorney who's also a ballroom dancer. I met my wife on the ballroom dance floor. I started dancing maybe three and a half years ago. Wow. Four years ago, if you said, Dave Cristiano, you're going to start ballroom dancing, I would have said, what have you been smoking? Are you kidding me? Right. But somehow, someway, I took a ballroom dance lesson. What I saw was ballroom dancing was very therapeutic. If a person's depressed, it'll really help you depress. And if you're struggling mentally, it really helped. There was a lot to it, a lot to learn, to technique of it, just learning the dance. And I said, okay. So I stayed with it. We met on the dance floor, but now we practice and we continue to doing it. But I, but it's meant a lot to me, and I'm trying to. I want to do a film about it. As it's a, yeah. one of the side stories. Um, so, but you know, she's. Read, I've been working on the script. I'm still working on the script. I don't have a title for it yet. It's about relationships. But I wanted to really say something. You want a film that people watch and say, "Wow, I can use that." You I know what I would love to see. You know what I'd love to see. The opposite of what happened with Dirty Dancing. So Dirty Dancing is Dirty Dancing, and it's a small, low-budget film, and then it explodes and becomes iconic forever and ever and ever. So here's what I want. I want you to write this Christian film about about ballroom dancing, and I want it to explode, okay. but for this reason, right? Yeah, so that they can hear the My, message. What I saw was ballroom dancing, um, the group classes, was an analogy of the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, this is a positive thing. We go, like on a Tuesday night, we'd go to a group class. Let's say there's 40 people there, 20 guys, 20 ladies. Yeah. Okay, so I go to a class. So you're going to, the way it sets up, you're going to dance with every person in that class. Every girl, lady will come by four or five times because you'll do it, frame up, do the little move, change partners as they teach you to dance. So sure. let's say a person comes, you don't know who they are. Hi, what's your name? My name's Dave. How long have you been dancing for? Okay, frame up. Next time you come around, where are you from? I don't know. Yeah. They come, you get to know the person a little bit. That's you good, interact. Yeah. It's interaction. And to me, this is what the church needs. Ah, uh, yeah. Not a spectator sport. We need interaction with mm-hmm. people. And That's so right. that was my analogy with ballroom dance. It was interactive. You got to know people. It's therapeutic. It's positive. Nobody's negative. 
here I'm just starting to dance. You dance when the person's been dancing 20 years. But they don't look down on you. They right. don't, they're just happy to be dancing. Yeah. It was just a real good community. That's what, And Susie and I started about the same time. And so that helped us where she's not way better than me and I'm not way better than her. So yeah. that works for us. That's good. You know? No, I love that. So I want to do a film about it. It holds ballroom dancing. And the fact that we've been doing it for three and a half years now, I know it. Yeah. I understand it. Absolutely. So what I'm writing will be correct. <clears throat> sure. You're not going to fake the ballroom dancers that really know it. Right. You know, so. Well, let's let's tell the audience one more time here at, at the end. Let's tell them how they can see your films. Okay. Uh, I have a website, christianfilms.com. Mm-hmm. There's a story on that website called, it's an article called The Christiano Brothers Story. And it just tells about our films and our stories and how we started and list all of our movies. So I sell them DVD, digital, on christianfilms.com. They're also on streaming services, YouTube. You look up any of our films on YouTube. It's under the Christian Movies channel, but you can look, look them up on YouTube. TubiTV.com. Mm-hmm. T-U-B-I-T-V.com. That's yes. another. Those, those are our two main sites. We're also on Redbox, Internet Movie Database. You can go to uh, Vudu. I've seen on Vudu. You have a few films that you can buy on Vudu. We've got a couple of things on Vudu. And there was one that we're actually showing free with ads on Vudu. I think they did. Uh, and then uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. I'm not on Prime. I'm on Amazon where you have to either rent the movie or buy the movie. And well, and that's so and, on and Amazon we do, Prime. And we do need sales. <laughs> just so you know, Amazon Prime is where I bought it. So it's right. Amazon Prime. It's Prime Movies. Right. So yeah, can, yeah. It's, yeah. It's you don't need Prime to get that though. Okay. Right. You okay. just happen to have Prime. Is uh, yeah, what he's okay. saying. Right. Because right. right. if that. a person had Prime, they couldn't watch it. We're not on the Amazon Prime. And the reason why is they don't pay anything. They right. pay a penny of view. Yeah. I can't live off a penny of view. Yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> I need at least 10 cents. Yeah. So you don't <laughs> I mean they really yeah. don't pay any it's it's you don't need Prime to watch it on Amazon. You just okay. need to log in and search for it. You know, there's right. other ones. One called Living Scriptures, Pure Flix. We're you know in INSP. Are you on Redeem? Uh, We've got TV? a few things on Redeem TV. Uh, there's Redeem TV. I've used that. So yeah. the two main ones, though, are YouTube channel and Tubi. Those are our two main outlets that have mm-hmm. really grown. What's, you your know, fa- what's your favorite one? I mean, I assume it's one of those two. Your favorite it's outlet. Of, well, here's the thing about YouTube. This company in Canada called us, this, guys, you've got to have a YouTube channel. They're bigger than all the other ones combined. Mm-hmm. They're bigger than them combined. Wow. And so one thing about YouTube, it goes around the world. You know, it's it's big. Sure. I mean, it's so big. So if you're trying to reach the most people, that's probably my favorite one. I used to be against YouTube because people could upload our movies and they watch them for free. We never got any income. YouTube did. That's all changed now. Sure. We got that all changed. But for years, yet you were constantly taking your films off YouTube because free doesn't pay my bills. I have investors to pay. Right. Free don't pay them. Mm-hmm. There's a myth out there that everybody thinks filmmakers and music artists are wealthy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what a myth that is. <laughs> Seriously. I know. They do. I yeah. don't think people think that about musicians so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if, if a person's a singer, they think they got enough money, they don't need it. And mm-hmm. they think the same thing about filmmakers. That's not true. You really should support. You really should. Yeah. Because it is hard. I don't know how a music artist makes it today. I really don't. Yeah. Most, I, most I people really are doing hard. it for the love of it. That's yeah. the bottom line. The yeah. majority. Like, yeah. That Ma- makes sense. Making, making, uh, like a middle income life in music puts you in the top 10%. Oh, like wow. just a middle income, just like a, I can pay the bills, et cetera. That, you're in the top 10% of all earning musicians. You know, and the one thing about YouTube- It's really sad though, isn't it? 
it's art, baby. You better be doing it for the art because right. the money may right. or may not ever right. happen. One good thing is YouTube has given an outlet for a lot of people, music, films. Sure. In other words, the streaming is giving you an outlet. Because mm -hmm. YouTube, if, if I wanted to record a song uploaded to YouTube, I could. Right. You know? I could Absolutely. I could come in this studio, record a good song on my guitar, and throw it up there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, have you ever thought about crowdfunding? No, my brother and I have stayed away from that. Have when, you? When we, here's, when we first started, there was a library. Remember I told you that the had 77 Christian mm -hmm. film libraries when I came out with the first film? The one in North Dakota had been doing it for 26 years. His name was Bernie Friesen. He was, can I give you some advice? I said, sure. Don't go nonprofit. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to go nonprofit. Sure. He goes, you'll be a much better steward of your funds if you don't go nonprofit. Ah, okay. My brother and I took that to heart, and we have stayed. We're not a nonprofit. We're a for-profit company. It really makes you watch what you're spending. Because yeah. when you go nonprofit, you, you're going you, you to right. give me all the bells and whistles. That's and I right. think this, God knows our heart and motive. Mm -hmm. you're, I can fool you. I can fool the guy in the studio, but I can't fool him. Right. So don't even try. Yeah. And so I keep in mind, I try to be honest with the Lord. I know this. He knows this. We're trying to do our films for him that he knows. Christiano Brothers, 100% heart, trying to do a film for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Also trying to do the best work we can. Right. We want him to be good. We're trying and being to be a good, good steward. You know, and you got to. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I, the, the movie Always a Winner came in on budget. I didn't go over budget with it. I budgeted. You know, sure. I worked within my means and the money I had, and you know, experience helps because you have the experience of the previous films when you budget the film. Right. So that's wow. why we're we've not done crown. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's why we haven't gone there and don't plan to. Yeah. Want to just keep doing what we're doing? I don't plan to shoot a five million dollar film. I don't. You're right. I, I just, the distribution is not there. No. You know? Well, <clears throat> guys, go look for Dave Cristiano, Rich Cristiano, both, um, and, and search for their movies. Look at Christian movies on YouTube. Go go on Tubi, go wherever and, and watch these films. You can you can sit down with your family. You can feel safe, and they have a great storyline. They they kept me, and I really did. You know, I'm a, I love movies, and I loved Remember the Goal and The Perfect Race. I loved those. Well, oh, thank films. you so much. Yeah, and so I look forward to seeing this. Always a winner. Did 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 somebody pay you to say that? No, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got... <laughs> I shouldn't say it. No, That's, thank you. Listen, I get 10 cents every time I say that. Look, some people, like I say, <laughs> some people like what we do and some don't. Same with music. Some, yeah. There's certain artists that you like, you just like everything they do, regardless of what it is. Yes. You know, because you're on the same wavelength with them. Mm -hmm. So our films are coming from a non-denominational, non-charismatic standpoint. I'll say it like that. Yeah. But we're just sticking with solid message. I'm not trying to deal with issues that divide. Right. We, that's not the direction we're going. Right. You know, we're coming Jesus gospel, try to write a good story, have a couple of subplots, always have a twist. We're always trying to have a twist in a film. You yes. want to set the audience up for something. Yeah, Would I have to tell you, like, I know I keep trying to end this, but I don't want to because I love talking to <laughs> Me, You, Us, Forever. I love that film. Oh, wow. It's so good. That film, I got. Well, he wrestled with it. That main yeah. character, he just really wrestled with that. Let me say something about that film. I shot that. I got a lot of flack when that film first came out. Really? Yeah, because the Christian world didn't want to pretend that people are divorced and they don't think about old girlfriends. I tried to be very realistic with that film. Yeah. The one thing I tell people: if you're going to watch me, U.S. Forever, me and U.S. Forever, it's real. It's not fake. No. There's nothing fake about this. And that's what I tried to do. It's honest. 
it's an honest portrayal of a guy struggling with one know, of the characters that was in that. She was on Seventh Street Theater, wasn't she? she Oh yeah, Stacy Aswan. Yeah, she was right. in that film right. too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought I recognized her because so I watched that, the film and Yeah. So but that film's doing much better now. That's really streaming has really helped that film. It's it's people are receiving it more. They're recognizing, wait a minute. Yeah. This isn't, you know, it's just real. I mean, people there's a lot of people out there who get divorced. They don't want to be divorced, but they get divorced. So now what? Right. And so I tried to give advice to people that were in that situation, and I have a divorce group leader in the film, and to me, what he says is good things. He says solid things in that film. Yes. But it's also a story of a guy thinking of his first love, should he go see her or not, and the Christians say he shouldn't go see her. Yeah. Well, yeah, but people, Christians don't always do the right thing. I'm telling you, that tension, there was some tension built in that. And whenever he goes, I mean, I felt it was palpable. <laughs> it was. I was like, I just try to be good real on you with for it, getting that. You know, so yeah. we're not we're we're concerned. We want to be real with our Christianity. I hate fake. Yeah, I hate. I, I'm not a fake person when it comes to Christianity. You know, I I'm, I'm not this type of person. I heard. I'll give you this. I'll leave you with this. Uh-huh. Spurgeon, a famous preacher from England, C. H. Spurgeon, C. H. Spurgeon, mm-hmm. said this one time in the Old Testament: If you obey God, He blessed you. In the New Testament, if you obey God, most likely you'll suffer. That's a very correct, accurate portrayal of those. I mean, the Old Testament is God's always trying to get Israel, obey me, I'll bless you, obey me, I'll bless you. They wouldn't. In the New Testament, he turned it around, the Spirit of God's in you. If you obey me, most likely all all will suffer or follow Christ Jesus, okay? It separates the men from the boys. But a lot of the thinking, a lot of preaching, and a lot of films are Old Testament thinking. Get in the New Testament here. So Rich and I have kept that in mind. I did that a lot in 7th Street Theater. I showed a lot of things going wrong in 7th Street Theater because a lot of things go wrong in the Christian life. Yes. They just go wrong. Sure. Um, God's hard to understand at times. (laughs) In other words, you can't understand why. A lot of times. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And it comes down to this. You got to trust God. Yeah, we got, and I. It's easy to say. It's hard. We got to trust God. Mm-hmm. Trust God's in control. Sometimes we think He's not. He's in total control. Of what's mm-hmm. going on? And you know, He's got your good in mind. I hope. Yeah, uh, the think, Scripture says it, doesn't it? You know, yeah. All things work so, together for the good of those that love you know, God and who are called according to His purpose. Look, we're thankful for the films. I mean, I did Me U.S. Forever. I unfortunately got was in an un, I got a divorce. I didn't I didn't want to be, but it happened. And yeah. that film came out of that. Yeah, it was where I was at in my life, how I was thinking. You know, I probably wouldn't make it today because I'm not. I'm very happily married. Right. And so I wouldn't. You know, no, you're making a ballroom dancing I'm movie because you're dancing. happily married and, <laughs> yep. and dancing yep, with your wife. Is. So that yeah. <laughs> so that's the next project. Yeah. Well, Lord willing. If, if the script's not quite there yet, but hopefully that's what I'm planning to do. Yeah. A ball, right now, I call it a ballroom dance. I, I don't know if I'm going to call it that. Marriage is like a ballroom dance, and I'll give the analogy of why. Look, marriage should work. I've learned a lot being married with her. It, it should work beautifully. If you got the right person and the Lord put it together— it should be. This works very, very well. I'm, yeah. I'm a very happily married guy. Yeah. I really am. I can and, tell. And yeah, I'm very, I can very, tell. I'm, I'm overwhelmed at— God's goodness to me. Yeah. I am. And I'm saying that sincerely, not... I, not, feel, I feel like Rick's there with you. Rick yeah. is recently <laughs> remarried and... Yeah. Yeah. And my, yeah. It's so... It's it, When you actually are married to someone that 
that actually enjoys who you are and compliments you. And like, I'm look, I'm a madman. When it comes to the scripture, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I read from three, almost six o'clock in, in the morning. I get up and do my studies. And I'm, I do that because I have to create a lot of content. Okay. So it's not just because I'm like the perfect Bible reader. I'm creating content. And so by the time my wife wakes up, I'm on blast. And I, <laughs> she had me in a cup of coffee. And I'm like, let me tell you what it says in Jude, you know. <laughs> Dave's wife is over in the corner just like waving her hands like not a chance (laughs) you know the thing about it too it's I didn't think about your marriage real quick my brother is very happily married Mm -hmm. and he the woman he married she was from Brazil and he dated her almost four years he goes I never changed a thing about myself I never made a change Yeah, and it just worked Right. I'm I gotta be me. She's gotta be her. We just work. That's right. And and I don't take it for granted. I'm very thankful every day to God. I thank him. I wanna be humble before the Lord. Yeah. Uh, but it the testimony is that God can make it work. Yeah. He can do it. He sure can. He just did. He's doing it. You I guys, saw her. She's blonde. Yes. How he got her, I don't know, but he got her. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Yeah, you two are definitely suited for one another. That's awesome. Dave Cristiano, thank you so much Rick, for being Rick on our Welch, program. Rick Welch, thank you very much. Yeah, Thanks it, for having it me. It means God, so much that God you came you. out. Yeah, God bless you. I wish you all the best. Guys, please go find Dave Cristiano's films. Support him. Support this, this artist that truly tells the message of the gospel in all of his films. It will not, I promise you, it's in there. It's all over it. So go support him. Andy, thanks for being here. Thank you. You have to be. <laughs> well, I didn't mind it. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. And even though we didn't hear her voice, Susie, thank you for being in here as well. And uh, guys, we will talk to you next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Ciao, Bela. Dave Cristiano and Rich Cristiano have put out a film called Mind Reader. That movie comes out um, October the 25th. And if you will go to mindreadermovie.com, mindreadermovie.com, you will see that they're putting in 25 theaters across the U.S. If you will look and see if there's a theater near you, I'm urging you to go and see this film. The Cristianos are a rare breed. These men, you met Dave, Andy. You met him right here in the studio. He is a sincere man. He loves the Lord, and he makes sure to share the gospel in every one. And he's not doing it in a way that beats you over the head or makes you feel guilty or makes you feel threatened. He's telling you that there's mercy and grace and love for those who are hurting. That's what he talks about. And mindreadermovie.com. If you'll go to that, see if that if there's a theater near you. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.